perhaps look forward is not the right word, Ed. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good, actually. Yeah, not too bad. This nil-nil was better than the last nil-nil. I agree. Just about. It was still nil-nil, though, wasn't it? It was still nil-nil. Slaven Bilic saying in the press conference after the game that that was anything but a boring game of football. And he was right, really. There were lots of chances at both ends. United had more and better chances than West Ham, I would say. Yeah, it should have been 2-2, 20 minutes in, basically. Yeah. A great, great chance for Fellaini on the header. Uh, a few minutes in, Victor Moses threw clear on goal. David De Gea doing what David De Gea can only do. And then we had that Cresswell cross and uh, mistake by David De Gea. And, and then uh, what, Smalling kicked it onto whose face? It wasn't Andy Carroll's face, someone's face. And it hit the woodwork and then uh, and then it hit the woodwork again two minutes later. So, you know. That didn't add up to 2-2. Two, two. That added up to like 4-1 to West Ham, I think. Yeah, it might have done. Yeah, yeah. There should have been a lot of goals in the opening 20 minutes. And actually, there were... More chances in the United game, uh, bar all, except for the Chelsea-Bournemouth game. Right. Isn't that interesting? And It is. It's sort of, it was a game that, set in a different context, would have garnered an incredibly different reaction. Yeah. But set in the context of being the fifth nil-nil draw United have been involved in in the last nine games. Right. And I think the seventh draw overall in the last ten games... That's uh, not not such good context. No, and it's funny, you know, the match of the day running order came out and everyone moaned about it, and uh, because United are well down the list most weeks this uh, this weekend, and actually for once they probably got it wrong because this was not the most boring game of the day. Uh, definitely not. Lots and lots of chances for United. Uh, once again, United had. I mean, it reads very familiar, doesn't it? If you hadn't watched the game, sixty-three percent possession. One shot on target, no goals. <laughs> it seems like every other nil-nil United have had this season. And, and you know, I suppose in a way it was because United didn't score. Uh, but, uh, yeah, great analysis there, Ed. <laughs> but but lots and lots of chances and, and most of them just wasted, really. So it was a different performance, uh, a better performance from an attacking point of view. I thought at times uh, Massa and Martial uh, and others were very good in attack and, and managed to carve open West Ham's defence, which, you know, is um, a bit porous, wasn't it, almost? Yeah, I was sitting next to a chap who does social media for West Ham and he just said they've been really poor defensively all season, really vulnerable defensively yeah. all season. Well, look, I mean, this is a West Ham side that was also missing a few key players as well, so... Uh, yeah. They were weaker than normal, probably couldn't uh, enact their game plan. Billich is a good defensive coach. Um, he does get his teams very, very well organised and um, wasn't quite able to, well, you know, I suppose sort of was able to do it at the weekend. Uh, got got the nil, just uh, perhaps a bit of fortune in there. And, you know, they're missing a few key players and they played Andy Carroll up front and so effectively playing with uh, with 10 there. I'm not having that. Andy Carroll's a superhero. The, he, at one point... He flicked the ball onto himself from the halfway line, then ran like a third of the field and out sprinted Morgan Schneiderlin and then tackled Morgan Schneiderlin after he got the ball off him. It was uh, quite uh-huh. remarkable one-man teamwork from uh, Andy Carroll. Well, d- talking of big lumps, uh, Marouane Fellaini came in at number 10, uh, which before the game he insisted he absolutely would not come in at number 10. Yeah, uh, which was... one of us uh, was it again, Ed, that said he would come in at number 10 and which one said he wouldn't? I, I said he would. Yeah. And you said he wouldn't? I think you might be right about that. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, he was he was quite good. Yeah, he was. Not in your classic playmaker sense. but uh, <laughs> No, he's <laughs> no, not, not exactly Zidane, is he? But uh, he he, um, he creates some chances. I mean, he should have scored very early in the game. Yeah. Uh, I know it came off a, 
um, a West Ham defender's head and uh, United didn't get the corner. But, I mean, Man Fellaini just jumps there and he scores. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, he's that's not his best skill, is it, getting off the ground? No. But he did OK, generally. We all know what his best skill is, right? And I know everyone talks about this all the time now, but... I was right in line with it and it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen on a football pitch. Ball's coming at him from a long ball and you think for every instinct in the world makes you think he's going to flick it on with his head. But instead, he controlled the ball with his chest with like just genuinely outstanding ability. It's really, really odd that he's so good at this one thing. Yeah, Really, just that one thing as well. So, look, um, coming back to the start of the game, I guess, uh, a few a few changes in, apart from Fellaini coming in, which was uh, not that surprising. But Damian ended up starting at left back and McNair at right back. And I guess he had to swap it around because United are kind of short of fullbacks at the moment. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose there would have been a chance of Young playing, but uh, McNair came in and he did all right, galloping up and down that right-hand side until he... You know, got dragged off, but, uh, you know, not too bad. Um, put in a couple of decent crosses, one for Fellaini, who probably should have scored. Uh, and um, generally speaking, the back four as as tight as it has been all season. Yeah, and they were a bit, I don't know, they were a bit more vulnerable on the counter-attack. But I think West Ham are just quite good at that, aren't they? Um, and, and West Ham did have like a period of about five minutes where they were the dominant side, which is like at Old Trafford now, it's got to the point where that feels really weird when United haven't got the ball. It's like, yeah. what's going on? It's Of course, that's how football works, but not at Old Trafford. Right. Well, there, there are four great chances for West Ham during the game. So Victor Moses, as I said, one-on-one saved by De Gea, Cresswell cross and, and then onto the post, the Reed header onto the post. And, and in the second half, Zarate's mm. great chance, which he missed from, what, five or six yards out. So, look, nil-nil, but um, it shouldn't have been nil on either side, really. No, and the Damian McNair thing was kind of interesting. Uh, this Damian business, I thought he was much more solid defensively than he has been of late but uh, his lack of ability to put a ball into the box is a real problem and it's been happening all season long he's put in what I don't know definitely less than half a dozen good crosses this season I'd say maybe definitely is the wrong word but it feels like he's put in less than half a dozen good crosses all season it's not his strong point he needs to get on the training field and start knocking some in. He needs to go and have a wor- word with a new new Valencia manager, Gary Neville, because he wasn't much of a crosser in his uh, early days and then uh, became the best crosser at the club after Beckham left. Um, should, we, should we table a discussion about Gary Neville to Valencia for later in the show? I know it's not directly United related, but it's pretty United related, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, Neville Brothers taking over in Spain. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about that after we've concluded with uh, United nil, West Ham nil. And then we'll get on to uh, Bournemouth nil, United nil before that. Um, Martial carved out some chances and also had an absolute guilt edge chance right at the end. The ball from Memphis was just beautiful. Like Memphis has looked brighter in the last couple of weeks, and and there was a just he just had a real impact when he came on because because once again the game had a kind of sandwich feel to it where the beginning was good and the end was good and but the bit in the middle was really there was a lot of kind of the stuff that you were really angry about last week uh, this kind of passing so at one point United fans uh, shouted handball at West Ham and, and as the opposition fans often do they started shouting handball with each pass but 
the thing is, it's you can't really do that against United because you know it goes Ooh, handball right every time a new pass is played, but the gaps between them shouting handball were so long <laughs> because United's passing is so slow that it was just going. Ooh, and you could see they were like thinking, oh god, where are we going to go? We're going to run out of breath. Eventually, finally, someone passes it. Oh, handball. Well, it's true. Look, it was over an hour before Adrian actually made a save. So, you know, you're right about this thing uh, of it being sort of dull in the middle part of the game. Uh, and a lot of that, of course, was uh, to do with United actually not managing to get a shot on target during the first half. But look, uh, yeah, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Memphis's setup for Martial, who side-footed it. Would have been such a classy finish if only it was six inches to the left, as it was not good enough. There was the Lingard, Fellaini, Martial uh, sort of, uh, trio, they set up their chance for for um, for that first save of the game. Um, Lingard had a great chance wide right towards the end of the game, sort of five minutes ago. Schweinsteiger blasted over, didn't he? So Mata had a swing with his right foot, and you just wished it was on his left. Yeah, right. So l- lots and lots and lots of chances and ifs and buts, and you know, I guess I guess you say that's not good enough. And of course, of course, you, you then end up thinking, yeah, you know, we're so critical of the style of play this season and not creating enough chances, and they do create a lot of chances. And then you start thinking, hmm, well, would it have been different if one of those five strikers he let go in the summer was kept on? Would any of them have scored a goal? Bundesliga Player of the Month, Javier Hernandez. I mean, we had a little chat about this. Falcao obviously wouldn't have scored any of those chances. Van Persie probably wouldn't have been able to get himself onto the end of those chances. And uh, Chicharito would have been on the bench anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, although Wilson danced around like six players and scored for Brighton at the weekend. So. Yeah, but you know, if you put Martial in Brighton's team, I think he'd score about a million goals. True, true, true. And look, the problem wasn't letting players go. The problem was not strengthening. Yeah. So United are in a position where they have, uh, well, two strikers, I guess, at the club. Wayne Rooney, who's definitely, you know, definitely on the wane. <laughs> so uh, bad pun there. Uh, and and Martial, who's 19 years old. Yeah. You know, loads of class, but he is 19 years old in his first season in England. And, you know, that, that's beginning to look a bit negligent. I mean, kind of, but the... the- the thing is, one of our better attacking performances recently was with none of those strikers on the pitch playing Memphis and Lingard up front. Uh, we looked all right playing like that. True. Um, yeah, at least had two players up front, I suppose. Uh, look, uh, after the game, Van Hal um, made this point in a way. He said that he expects that uh, any of the players in his team should be able to score goals. Yeah, a great theory, you know, total football and all that. He was asked about would Suarez or Aguero make the team stronger and he, he instead of saying yes, because, you know, obviously, yes, either of them would or both, uh, he, he made this point about, you know, would they score goals in the United team because everyone's expected to score goals, which is a great theory until you look at the number of goals each of these players have scored throughout their careers. And uh, Memphis aside from last season, it's not many. No, absolutely. And, and you know, he did say when pushed that he did think they would both score goals at United. So he hasn't completely flipped. And I think that question was, I think he, it was the last question in the press conference. And I think he was just doing a thing where he was asked about transfers. So he was obfuscating out of habit basically, because he's talking about transfers rather than making any particular specific point. But he can't ever resist an opportunity to, I don't know, to 
give a little lesson in Van Gaalism when he gets into that state. It felt like that's what he was doing. The actual football, it was very frustrating to watch. And there was one, I think it, it might have even been the passage of play that led to, it definitely led to a good chance, but the ball was knocked back into United's own half. And it, the crowd just got so agitated at that point. They really are absolutely sick of Van Gaal. That not him necessarily, although plenty are, but but the crowd as a collective are absolutely sick of the football. Yeah, well, right, right, they are. But uh, United's management, executive management, don't care. And uh, we had a rash of stories all coming out at the same time. Uh, always happens after Ed Woodward's been uh, been gathering the local press uh, down a pub, I suppose, or wherever he was, and um, and the story was that. Uh, United believes that Van Hal is a genius, quote unquote, manager, um, and that if Pep Guardiola is available this summer, they are minded not to be interested in him because they're happy with what Van Hal's doing. You know, and I, su- I suppose set in the context of of United's fall post Ferguson, the fact that Van Hal has steadied the ship and United are now what in fourth now, but were second coming into the weekend. Um, that's fair enough. But it's not seeing the big picture, is it? It's not seeing everything. It's it's this weird dichotomy that United are in at the moment, whereby we're still in the Champions League and it's in our own hands, just about. Um, and within the shot of winning the title, you know, it's like I could have gone top again with a with a win, or no, second with a win. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely in with with a shot of winning the title. And yet the fans are frustrated, and the fans are frustrated because it's the worst football at United since uh, Dave Sexton. Yeah, I asked uh, Van Gaal about this in the post-match press conference, and this is what he had to say. And it seems like the fans are increasingly frustrated. You spoke on uh, Friday about the attack, attack, attack chance, and suggested that because United have had a huge amount of possession that should somehow make the fans happy with the attacking play but they don't seem comfortable with the style of play yeah uh, I think when we had scored a goal then they were very pleased because uh, they were supporting more than ever I think so it is a question of to score that goal and uh, we didn't do that, so uh, that's our problem. And uh, also that the fans are disappointed. Yeah, I know that because I'm also disappointed. And also my players, they want to score uh, every minute of the game, but that is not possible. But uh, I don't understand that uh, uh, they are shouting attack, attack, because we are the attacking team and not West Ham United. And that's not only today, that is in every game like that. Because we are always more dominating than our opponent. So that's uh, what I have said Friday, that is what I mean to say. Uh, when you have a, a lot of ball possession, you have a lot of ball possession to uh, create chances and not uh, to play the ball around uh, to uh, don't score. So, and um, when uh, they don't like uh, my, uh, the style of playing for Manchester United, everybody knows that in advance, that 
all the teams of Louis Vergaal is playing like that. So when you have that question, yeah, then I say, okay, that's the uh, where I uh, where I have been in Barcelona or uh, Bayern München or Asset. We are, we have played like that. But I think when I uh, meet the fans on the streets or or where then they are very happy uh, with uh, Manchester United and uh, with me. But you have to score, and when you don't score, when when it uh, lacks points because of that, now we are three points behind Leicester City because we don't score one goal today. And that is the difference. And uh, today, I think the team who has to win was uh, uh, Manchester United and not West Ham United. But they could have scored. We could have lost also. And that is also fantastic, this game of football. Yeah, I thought you rather dodged your actual question there but uh, and gave you a lesson in sort of tactics and philosophy. Uh, he, he kind of did, although he did he did address all the points. He did address the fact that the fans are frustrated, but, you know, he said this thing about, like, people are always nice to him when he sees them out on the street. And I think, God, fans in other places must be really mean. You just shout at the manager in the street. Because, um, you know, you meet Van Gaal in the street, you're not going to be rude to him, are you? You're going to... Yeah, so you know, there's a nice anecdote in uh, Danny Taylor's piece for the Observer this weekend, where he says after after Roma lost to Barcelona six one, they were greeted with rotten vegetables at the training ground. So, I mean, yeah, uh, fans of Manchester United are very nice, and it takes a lot for the fans to start getting agitated at Old Trafford. It really does, you know. Historically, this almost never happens, even under Moyes. Uh, and you know, there really wasn't this level of agitation. So it, it's a shame in a way that Van Hal is almost not able to address it at all. You, you just get the sense, reading between the lines, that he thinks the fans are stupid. You know, he just doesn't get it at all. And and they're being unfair and impatient or something along those lines, or mainly unfair. And maybe there's some of that, but there's a there's 120 odd years of expectation that's been set institutionally into Manchester United. And this isn't just romanticism, is it? It's, it's you know, the babes and Ferguson and 25 years of attacking football and all of that, you know? Well, 20... 23. One years, yeah. 20 years of attacking football. The attack, attack, attack chance, though, I can totally see why Van Gaal's frustrated by those because they almost always happen when United are attacking. Not knocking the ball sideways for the sake of knocking the ball sideways. It's something that he said, you know, that... The, the, the purpose isn't to just keep possession, it's to keep possession in order to create chances. And and against West Ham, the system worked. That's like that's exactly what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to carve out openings. And like the fact that Rooney wasn't there, it was probably a very good thing in terms of carving out more chances and probably a bit of a bad thing in terms of not finishing him off because Rooney's chance conversion throughout his career is spectacular, you know. So there's a swings and roundabouts there, but... Not for the last three seasons, it's not. Right. Go look at the stats. Oh, you might well be right there. Um, but anyway, he, you know, he, he definitely has a knack for a goal in difficult circumstances, doesn't he? he kind of... 
he scored that goal against CSKA, for example. Uh, uh, but yeah, the, in terms of the way the football worked, it, it kind of worked better without him, really. The number of chances seemed to point in that direction anyway. Yeah, and he's, it looks like he's out for the Wolfsburg game coming up in midweek. And uh, I guess that's a good thing uh, in, in that you know, if, if Rooney is the factor, we'll see. You know, he, he comes back next weekend against Bournemouth, let's assume, and, and United only make five chances again, then then we might have some good evidence that he's a, he's a problem. You know, for, for what it's worth, I mean, I don't think Fellaini's, you know, anywhere near um, good enough for, for a starting spot at Manchester United, you know, just in the context of Manchester United. But uh, he did make a difference. You know, it was one of his better games for United. He He helped. This is anecdotal, not data-driven, but he helped United create many of those chances. Uh, yeah, I thought it, basically any time he had, any time Fellaini was in the final third, it was very good to have him in the side, and any time he was in the middle third, it was less good to have him in the side. That was my anecdotal take on it, you know, because actually having his his physical presence up front made a huge difference because it did. Like, it's not like United were just launching it to him, but it did mean they could go a bit more directly, and it also meant that like floating across to the back post wasn't just a total waste of time as it's been so often this season, right? He created three chances yeah. and had three shots on goal. That's probably better stats than uh, Rooney has had at any point this season. Uh, yeah, and and I mean, and also, though, it has to be said, he missed the best chance of the game by far, right? Right. And this is the problem with Fellaini, that he's useful, but he lacks a level of ultra quality, doesn't he? Obviously. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know. Good debate there, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm putting myself out on a limb there, saying that Baron Fellaini isn't like in the ultra elite level. So, look, um, it leaves United three points behind Leicester. The front runners, Leicester. <laughs> Champions League favourites next season, <laughs> maybe. I, 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 in a way, you know, apart from having that horrible racist up front, they uh, it, it would be a lovely story for Leicester to make it into the Champions League, wouldn't it? Imagine Leicester versus Real Madrid, Barcelona and Bayern Munich. It still seems unlikely, but the longer this all this madness continues, the longer it seems plausible. I mean... It, it's so frustrating that we didn't nick a goal because this weekend would have been a heck of a time to win a game. God, it really would have been, yeah. It would have been. But, you know, some interesting results. City lose, terrible performance. Uh, Liverpool lost as well after midweek where uh, many United fans are going, you know, through very gritted teeth, isn't Klopp a good manager? After uh, Liverpool scored six in the the Capital One Cup, and uh, and then they go and lose at Newcastle of all places. It's just, football's weird, isn't it? And and t- today I was talking to someone before the Liverpool game, thinking like every part of my brain thinks Liverpool should win like ten nil in that game, but I think Newcastle are going to win because the football has been so very odd this season. Yeah, I mean the the thing about Liverpool's you know the huge victory in midweek and. You know, it's it's two months into Klopp's time at Anfield. It's hard to draw too many conclusions, of course. You know, and and maybe he's just getting a bump from a new manager being in place. But it just felt like this was a side playing like Klopp slides do, and it just didn't take very long for him to to get into place the philosophy, for want of a better word, that he wanted at Liverpool and get the team playing to the way he wanted them and get them playing at a at a better level. Um, than uh, they had done for Brendan Rodgers. And, you know, the word on the street has been that, that Klopp actually thinks he's got a pretty good squad there, you know? And he's he's not asking for tons and tons of players and money and uh, he thinks he can achieve something. And that really should worry Van Gaal because the last thing he needs, if he wants the fans on the side, 
is Liverpool doing well under Klopp and rejuvenating a side that was a bit of a joke, right? That is going to put pressure because it's a Klopp side. They're not going to be grinding out 1-0 wins. No, they're going to be losing 2-0 to Newcastle. (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. And then after all that, you know, that kind of narrative that went on during the the week where uh, there were a few sensitive fans. You you say anything in praise of Klopp and, of course, you know, there was a lot, lot of abuse and they go and lose. Yeah, I think I, I uh, put a tweet out on Sunday afternoon saying I always knew Klopp was rubbish, uh, <laughs> which, of course, was an ironic take on my positive comments about him in the mid midweek. But, of course, uh, I got a lot of abuse off Liverpool fans instead. You just can't win, can you? It's... I just can't. I can't. Um, the thing you said earlier about Woodward and the briefings and stuff, thats it's all pretty clear that that's been happening when six papers all come out with exactly the yeah. same story at exactly the same time uh, you know, all claiming exclusive yeah, there's been an email or two hasn't there so i thought you were a big time journalist these days paul uh, how come you're not invited to woo briefing briefings no way man i'm uh i'm I'll, you want to get the inside track no i'm not get him on the pod I'm not in any way shape or form a journalist i think it's fair to say but yeah anyway the thing about that is it he, they can't continue that if the fans hate the football. Because people have stopped coming. People stop renewing season ticket. I'm sure the season ticket renewals will go down this season. Or maybe I'm not sure of that. But it seems likely that there's a lot of people saying it's just not worth the, the time and expense to get to the football because the experience of watching it is so sort of boring. Right. I think the thing that would concern them more than a few fans turning away, because, you know, they get the infamous season ticket waiting list, right, um, is is when uh, they engage Kantar or GFK or one of these global survey companies and it says that uh, fans in China are turned off yeah. United because they're a bit boring. Yeah, and, and it will happen, right, because... They're fickle. I, I, you, you know, The global fan base is fickle. Well, so is the local fan base, as we know from Soconomics, right? The, the, there are, of course, a group of incredibly unfickle fans, but... The elasticity of football support in terms of attendance is is pretty uh, big. So they're acting like they've got an inelastic supply, <laughs> an inelastic demand, but the demand is elastic, and and it will sag if uh, if the football stays boring. But again, like I don't actually think the game against I was not bored watching the game against West Ham. I was frustrated and just just wishing for one of those chances to go in. Uh, but I, I don't think it was boring in the way that the uh, PSV game certainly was. Right, and part partly that's about West Ham, right? Partly that's they didn't come to just sit ten men behind the ball, although they were pretty defensive for large parts of the game. They did have a, a go at counter attacking. They did, they did. I mean, certainly four great chances, yeah, uh, and you know, not not just sitting there and giving the ball away. Certainly not a. Chelsea-esque versus United performance. Or versus Bournemouth. Or versus Bournemouth, yeah. No, they create a lot of chances, Chelsea, but uh, <laughs> that was one of the funnier results of the weekend. So many strange results over the weekend, I suppose. Well, anything more to say about West Ham? In the end, it's frustrating. United have dropped points down to fourth. Uh, now only the three behind ahead of Tottenham, so at risk of dropping out of the uh, the Champions League spots, but only the three behind Leicester, so, you know... In with a shout of uh, being top in the new year. Yeah, I think the one thing I want to say about the uh, West Ham games, I didn't think Juan Mata was very good. And that's a big shame. It's always a big shame. You kind of feel like there's such an opportunity, although we said it was nice to have Fellaini in the side or useful to have Fellaini in the side. We such a good opportunity to have Lingard on one flank, Memphis on the other and Mata through the middle. But uh, it's just it's just a... 
it's just not going to happen, is it? So I thought he was quite isolated and actually not that good on the ball. No, he was involved with one in one really good move between, was it Lingard and Fellaini, uh, resulting in a Martial shot. Anyway, uh, one of them, he was very good and played a couple of quick one-twos. But yeah, didn't get into the game nearly as much as we'd like him to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's the man who suffered most from Van Van Hal going uh, to a four-two-three-one, for sure, and away from four-three-three. I think um, if United, if he was either given a long-term run at number ten, and and granted, he's actually not been very good when he's had a chance at number ten, not not his best performances anyway. So that either that or United switch back to a four-three-three with Herrera back into the side, I think we'd get much better performances out of Mata. Undoubtedly, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Herrera was adamant this week that he has no interest in leaving United. He's delighted to be at the club and loves it, etc. Yeah, Van Hal uh, on many occasions looks like he has no interest in playing Herrera, <laughs> which is just anyway. We don't need to get into that. Anyway, final final words on on the game. Uh, we we didn't mention one other player who made his debut. Oh yeah, Varela. I, I thought he looked quite nervy. Um, I, he was right on the other flank from where I was sat, so. And have a brilliant view of how he did. How did he look on telly? I thought he did all right, yeah. A few nervy moments. Um, an actual fullback playing in the United team, you know, an actual real one. There's two, two in the, in the same team. Yeah. One on each flank. All right, so the left back is a right back, but still, it's close enough. And the centre back's a left back, but yeah. he was good again. Even though Andy Carroll targeted him at one point, not bothered. Just no, like, yeah, I'll, t- I mean, I'll take you on, Andy Carroll. The, the stats, uh, the stats don't tell all the story, but you know, he he didn't put the same the same numbers as Smalling. Of course, he's uh, you know clearing everything, but um, but yeah, he did all right. Did all right. It's just like good. Daily Blint is. That's the thing about Daily Blint. He's good. That's my take on it. Anyway, the Premier League farce that was this weekend sees Mourinho uh, lose again in a game which really look like, oh, they can't lose again. And I keep thinking when it comes to Chelsea, I keep thinking about something you said at the beginning of last season, which is that Diego Costa had only had like one and a half good seasons in his career. And it was actually quite a big gamble to spend a fortune on him and make him your main man. Turns out you were right there, Ed. Yeah, they got a title out of it. Yeah, they did. They did get a title out of it. Was it worth it? I mean, you know, he's now fallen out big time with Mourinho, it seems. Yeah, chucking bibs at him and all sorts. So that was Child. that was a bit uh, surprising. Arsenal won. That was also surprising. Even that's like what's going on there, and like somehow Spurs are going to win the league. Somehow we're going to win the league. That's the great irony of all of this. I think we're going to the final game of the season with three teams having a chip. No, no, we won't. Okay, Clearly. so us. Leicester and Tottenham. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, yeah, because City lost. Did you see that game? I, I did not. I need, I need the brief highlights. So I was watching it in the press lounge at Old Trafford and I got there and it was 2-0 by the time I got there. And then Arnautovic was one-on-one with Hart and he hit the post and I just shouted, oh, no, at the top of my voice and felt embarrassed and was quiet again. Like, I think I've blown my cover here, lads. All right, well, that was that. And... Um... Uh, a couple of games I did see, if I didn't see the City game, uh, was quite a bit of Valencia versus Barcelona uh, with new coach Gary Neville sat in the stands and then uh, we'll come on in a second to Wolfsburg against uh, Borussia Dortmund because I also watched that one. But uh, Valencia got a very creditable draw uh, against Barcelona. Not too many sides uh, managed to do that against uh, Suarez, Messi and Neymar. Um, and uh, he probably had quite a lot of positive things 
uh, coming out of that game, Gary Neville, who takes over today. Uh, yeah, hilarious that he got the job and was like, oh, you can uh, handle the game against Barcelona, Phil. I'll take over after that. Um, that's classic big brother privileges there, isn't it? He gets quite a lot of those, doesn't he? Yeah. Like, there's Phil, given temporary charge of Valencia when the manager goes, thinking, oh, this is great. I've got my opportunity. I've worked hard for it. Gary rocks up. All right, I'm here now. Wasn't interested in being assistant manager, but I'll be manager. So the Sky Sports Twitter account tweeted huge news coming up at midday. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, they've, they've, they've cried wolf enough times with the phrase huge news. But nope, it turned out to be legitimately bona fide huge news. Obviously, there's the Peter Lim connection, but what, what do you make of the whole thing of him getting that Valencia gig? Well, it's it's a temporary gig to start with, so I guess uh, the the risk is reduced. But and he obviously has a, a very good working relationship with Peter Lim, so he has his trust. Um, and it's a chance to put you know, Neville's Rudai in intelligent and you know, super quick and on-point analysis you know, to the test. Um, in actual football mm. and you know so it's going to be fascinating I think uh, an awful lot of people are going to be watching this to see how he does the really fascinating bit is not not if he fails because you know in a way first first management gig going to a foreign country club with some structural issues a team that's not been playing that well uh, obviously just fired the coach uh, he's only got the gig temporarily so can he really get the players up for it you know plenty of excuses if he doesn't do well what happens if he does really well is he going to get the gig full time or is he looking for a job in the Premier League or is, you know, the England job post Euro 2016 even a possibility? Or, whisper it, could he go ahead of Ryan Giggs as the next Manchester United manager? Well, this is the first thing you think, isn't it? It's like it, it's like a new moving piece in the picture because it happens in the same week that all this pep talk's going on. And then you've got, oh, yeah, he has, let's say, let's say he has a good 18 months. And then at the end of the Van Gaal tenure, Van Gaal's tenure lasts the the allotted time. And, and then, yes, they've got to either give it to Giggs or Gary Neville, who's like has a proven track record for 18 months. That's a big, complicated decision, isn't it? Well, look, Giggs gets it because if Giggs gets it, I should say, he gets it because he's, you know, in the chair. Yeah. Um, that's just to the right of Van Hal and Annie, a bona fide United legend. And, and Van Hal said he's the next manager and all of that, right? So, mm. um, whereas uh, Gary Neville is, I suppose, still a sort of outsider. Also, he pissed off the club by building a hotel opposite Old Trafford when they didn't want him to. <laughs> but Gary, but Ryan Giggs is a partner in that hotel. So, that's true. You know, that's true. That's like, he hasn't stopped him getting the assistant manager job. But the whole thing, the whole kind of murky class of 92 behind the scenes, Peter Lim, secret shadiness, it feels like it's building towards something. If this was a movie, it would be like, this bit would be the, the planning montage. Right. So, so if Lim was a bit richer, you'd be looking for a bid as well, I suppose, but he's not and he can't afford the club. But um, yeah, you know, the mafia are working the moves, aren't they? So it, they've just got to time it right. When do they stab Van Hal in the back? <laughs> I mean, Van Gaal is increasingly stabbable in the back because even though it would be, I, I think it wouldn't be a at all sensible, there's tons of fans that would absolutely bite your hand off to get rid of Van Gaal tomorrow, you know. Uh, so that's a big number. It's a big percentage number. You know, there's got to be at least 30% of people that identify as Man United fans, at least 30% who would want Van Gaal out tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I guess you segment that 
in many ways, don't you? I'm quite sure if you took a poll of people inside Old Trafford, even with the jittery sentiment, I'm not sure that 30% would say Van Gaal out. Then again, expectations get set because, you know, we we had many, many years with Ferguson. Many people, even when, you know, we were at peak Moyes, were were still not willing to say Moyes out, um, especially at Old Trafford. Um, maybe the fact that he's been fired as reset expectations. You know, suddenly we've got a bit of bloodlust. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And also the demographics of United fans have changed enormously over the last several years, you know, around the world, but also in terms of match game fans, like a whole generation that have been brought up watching the best football that anyone in the country was playing. You know, and the generation before that didn't, that wasn't their experience. They did sit through Dave Sexton for two and a half years or whatever it was, you know. But yeah, anyway, he's not getting sacked this week. That'd be uh, quite, that really would be huge news. But do you, what's your instinct? Do you think Gary Neville will be a success at Valencia? What would, what would success even mean at Valencia at this point? Uh, Well, super success is making the Champions League. Yeah. Uh, And I guess a a Europa, European spot after that. So, and and they've got the squad for it. They've got plenty of good players there. Got to get Negredo scoring, I guess, you know, if they really want to move up La Liga. Um, That's success, ultimately. Um, Steadying the ship being, you know, the minimum acceptable, I suppose. But, you know, again, it's it's hard not to emphasise how difficult it must be. You've got a, you know, a young manager, what is he, 40, who's been a pundit for the last four years. uh, And England coach. And and an England coach. So he puts the cones out, you know, once every two months. Yeah, but you can't imagine that that's what Gary Neville's doing in that coaching role, can you? No, no, true, true. He gets Phil along to do that. Uh, God, poor Phil, poor Phil. You know, he was the second best player uh, and he's the second best coach and he was the second best pundit. Is there anything that he's better at in the Neville household? Cricket. Cricket. Although Gary Neville did hit that double century with Matthew Hayden or whatever it was. But Phil Neville was a, was a, a superb crit- cricketer. And Andy F- Andrew Flintoff saying it was the happiest day of his career when Phil Neville res- retired from cricket because he got to be the best all-rounder in Lancashire or something. Anyway, good luck, Gary. Yeah, and, good luck and, to and both of you. if you want a present from Manchester United fans, Wayne Rooney, he's there for you, mate. <laughs> just, just you know, from us. From uh, us. Yeah, the... the you know that they really are the, the Neville brothers. Really are absolute United legends, especially Gary. He, he deserves every possible adulation that he gets from United fans, doesn't he? He's like one of the true greats of the club's history in his way. So yeah, good luck, Gary. What well, one last thing? Because you know Gary's always had a, a few things to say about uh, foreign managers coming into the Premier League. He'd be flipping out if an unproven forty-year-old Spanish person had just been given the I don't know the Middlesbrough job. Yeah. So outrageous. Not, Middlesbrough is a terrible club to pick. Uh, Tottenham, that's about right, isn't it? That's about yeah, yeah. Um, yes, so I'm not sure if there's an equivalent of UKIP in Spain, but uh, Gas, they might be sending you a letter. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, you also watched uh, Wolfsburg against Borussia Dortmund, and you said that Wolfsburg, in spite of losing that game, were very impressive. Created a ton of chances. Yeah, they um, they really shouldn't have lost the game, but uh, yeah, so they they were behind uh, for quite a while and uh, equalised with about two minutes to go. And uh, then Kagawa pops up and um, equalised through a penalty with about two minutes to go. And then Kagawa popped up and scores in the 93rd minute for the winner. But um, the thing about Wolfsburg is they're an open side, right? So Van Hal thinks uh, that they will be playing for a draw. Uh, he's kidding himself. 
Um, and maybe this is good for United. I don't know. It, the game being a, a bit more open, um, I think they will definitely go for a win and they create chances. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, they ripped United apart in the first five minutes at Old Trafford. And then right at the end of the game, when Van Gaal made a, a few slightly questionable substitutions, they were hammering uh, the the Old Trafford goal and United were pretty lucky to get out of that game with a win. Um, this is a big test. And, and the funny thing is, this is, I'm sure everyone will get sick of hearing this in the next couple of days, but people will definitely talk about the game where Van Gaal took Bayern Munich to Juventus in December of 2010, which is like this very famous game because this was the game where the Van Gaal method clicked for Bayern Munich. They won that game 4-1, went on to win the league, get into the Champions League final, win the cup, all that malarkey. I'd be absolutely staggered if that happens at United because that was... uh, a few months into it. that was his first season at Bayern Munich and this is very much not his first season at Man United no right and uh, I, you know, look um, the chances of United going away to Wolfsburg and putting in a you know a stunning performance and smashing Wolfsburg with their open free flowing football and heading into the the knockout stages as group winners and hopefully playing someone terrible um, there aren't too many terrible sides in second place at the moment, but still, um, I, I think they're pretty small. You know, I think this will be a really tight game for United, and and uh, the back four are going to be really key actually, because you know, as I said, Wolfsburg do create chances, and and there's a great chance they'll score goals. So, you know, that back four that's barely letting in any goals will be needed once again. The, the real question is at the other end, of course. You know, can United actually score? Really, probably going to have to. Um, yeah, well. Uh, Let's, let's make the assumption that PSV beat CSKA, so United are going to have to score at Wolfsburg in order to go through. Yeah, I mean... Big ask. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and and just so crucial, because it's going to be really depressing if United spend the next however long it is in the in the Europa League. Uh, that, is, that is just... This, just, this squad can't handle the Europa League, <laughs> I think it's pretty fair to say. Who can? I mean, what a turgid tournament. So, um, and actually, yeah, like, let's not get into into UEFA politics, but um, reforming the Europa League would be a good thing. Reforming it so United never have to play in it would be an even better thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, do you think that the likely outcome is that United won't get through? Is that how you feel right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, if I was going to pick a couple of scores, I'd, I'm going to make the assumption that PSV beat CSKA, who are out and... Yeah, you know, not very good, and then United go and draw at Wolfsburg. Yeah, and th- and that's it. That's United in the UEFA League, Europa League. I have got a feeling in my bones that we're going to win this game, but but it's absolutely worthless. But anyway, yeah, we were chatting before the game about United's XG. Yeah, so we've moved from data science to feeling in bones. <laughs> Yeah, best XG. I think it's our third best XG of the season against uh, West Ham. Point uh, one worse than it was against Everton. Do you know what? I wish someone would come up with an index of excitement yeah. score. Yeah. But the excitement score in that game should be quite high. There was like sending off and penalty debates, and uh, Bilic was adamant that Schweinsteiger should have gone. Called it a moment of madness. I haven't seen this back. Uh, do you think he should have gone? What did he smash him with an elbow? Bilic did a kind of motion saying in a press conference saying like it wasn't a flat arm, it was a proper elbow. Uh, I don't know. He's that kind of player. <laughs> <laughs> Bastian Schweinsteiger. <laughs> I think he might be. <laughs> 
sort of smiles and friendliness. But then I, I think uh, if he'd seen a red card, it would be hard to argue against it. But he's 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 Bastian Schweinsteiger. You cannot send him off. <laughs> no, but like he's got a dark side. Bastian Schweinsteiger has. Make no mistake. The the fury comes when it when it's not working out for him. Uh-huh. Right. So w- Wolfsburg. What do you reckon? Uh, I don't know. I really, I've just haven't got a clue. Um, I feel like United should have it in their locker because it's not like Wolfsburg are a better side than United, right? That's that would be kind of hard to make that empirical empirical argument if you look at their individual players. You look at the fact that United did win that game at Old Trafford and and you know just about deservedly so. Um, Wolfsburg's got some big strengths, haven't they? Chance creation and Bastos not quite on the same level of on fireness as he was last season, but he's still got seven in the league already this season. Um, and Scherl is creating a ton of chances and Cruiser uh, in particular is creating a lot of chances. So, you know, they, they've got plenty of strengths, but if United can find a way to start putting the brown thing in the square thing, it'll all be fine. Yep. Round peg, square holes, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or um is Herrera back? Do we know anything about this? I haven't seen anything about this. I think uh, uh I'm not sure that it was mentioned yet. Right. So yeah, maybe. I mean he was training and obviously Carrick was on the bench, so we've got a few players coming back and uh Rooney is definitely out by the sounds of it. Yeah, so that's I mean that I am not being funny or being mean for the sake of being mean, but I, I it, it is kind of a relief in terms of like getting a result and putting in a performance. Yeah, indeed. Should we do some rankcast questions before we preview Bournemouth? Very, very good shout. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Uh, at Pebble Smeller says, which is better, watching us bore ourselves senseless or with rubbish football or watching the Scousers lose to the worst team in the league? I still like watching us most. Yeah. What exactly is Pebble Smelling? I definitely don't want to know that, but he's been listening to the Rankcast for a long time. So it obviously doesn't stop you listening to the Rankcast. Um, at nope not going to read that his, his Twitter name is Ghost and then it's U-H-T-O-M-M-O-N-A-H-N he says do you think the team would play better in Santa hats Van Gaal does love Christmas I think that it seems unlikely that the team would play worse in Santa hats I think what you'd you'd see more long passes because they would they would look up and be attracted to the shiny red hats uh, or bright red hats and, and try and knock long balls, particularly if Fellaini was wearing one. I don't think you'd be allowed. FA says no. At Ryan Dino, this is brilliant. This is this is a, a heck of a stretch to get a negative outcome. Is our good league position actually a strange negative, given that it minimises the urgency to change the style of play slash players? Well, yeah. I mean, it's Van Hal's ultimate defence, isn't it? You know, for, but is that a bad thing? Doesn't that mean that to some extent it's working? It is working. I mean, it's working to the point that uh, in a league that is more open than has been typical and um, or in a league with no outstanding team in it, um, United are, are hanging in there. But, you know, I look, my bet is that the Premier League will be one with maybe even as low as 75 or 76 points, you know, and that's almost never that happens. You know, very, very rare that... The league winner gets that few points. And um, you could say that's because it's more competitive or you could say that there isn't really a, a great side here. So United could, st- they could win the league. United could win the league. And then uh, every justification to Van Hal's methods, of course, because he'll have he'll have taken United there with, with some of the dullest football at Old Trafford we've seen in 30 years. Presumably for United to win the league, the football would have to get a bit more exciting because we'd have to stop 
having nil-nil draws so often. We'd have to like actually win some games. Yeah, going to have to score more points. Yeah, um, but um, you know, City aren't clicking. Um, Leicester, we're going to assume aren't able to sustain this all season. Maybe you know, Arsenal, Arsenal it up in the spring. So uh, Chelsea are miles away, of course. Uh, so look, it's it's really open. If City start on a run of victories and uh, Aguero, company, and Yaya Torre are not injured. They're still favourites to win the league. Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, at Rich Chilver says, which ex-United players, if any, would have suited Louis Van Gaal's system? Uh, I think like 2008 Wayne Rooney would have been amazing. Cristiano and ironically, Paul Scholes. <laughs> yeah, and Ruud van Nistelrooy, who would have been outstanding as the number nine. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Imagine. Oh, it just made me feel warm in the back of my neck. Uh, Roy Keane as well. Because like, Really accomplished technical pass with the ball. Really good at choosing his moments to break forward, and just also just brilliant. Eric Cantona probably too. Because you see, but, I mean, the thing is, when you list a bunch of great players, they really should be able to play in any system. Angel Di Maria at Eddie Rose thirteen says, "What's the best way to keep yourself entertained for ninety minutes whilst watching United?" You could uh, stick the rank cast on. Yeah, you could watch Paul's house. 45 times. No, that's not, that doesn't, the maths don't work. Um, yeah, you don't want to do anything requiring high bandwidth, so, at Old Trafford, so. Everybody, please watch Paul's House on the UMaxit football channel. It's a five minute comedy sketch show about Manchester United that I make every two weeks. And if everybody that listens to this could uh, click on that, that'd be great. You can find a link in my. Twitter profile. Thank you. Do you pay for adverts on this show? Just, just check. I do. I pay with my blood, sweat, and tears. Ed, <laughs> very good. Um, uh, at Red Devil O Nine says, "Can Manchester United score? They never score." Pretty sure we get this question every week at the moment. Um, they can score. They will score. Surely, just not on Tuesday night at Wolfsburg. <laughs> at Kai Mac, uh, who I. Very much enjoyed meeting a few weeks ago at Old Trafford. Says, time to replace the Rantcast theme song as it's clearly no longer appropriate. Something that many people have mentioned. Uh, he suggests girlfriend in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> no, no, we can't replace the theme tune because it's the theme tune. It's just now post-ironic. Yeah. The, the team that gets me excited is Manchester United. I was watching a warm-up and Seven Nation Army was playing and I did get a few jitters of excitement and I was like, what am I doing? Why, buddy, listen, I know that you feel like you should be excited about what's about to happen, but nothing exciting is going to happen. Anyway. So, talking of nothing exciting happening, Bournemouth had a very exciting fixture, the best result in the club's history, according to Eddie Howe, as they beat Jose Mourinho's unstoppable Chelsea machine at Stamford Bridge. Remember when they uh, could never be beaten at Stamford Bridge? But we travelled down to the far-flung lands of Bournemouth, uh, somewhere where I would warrant that a lot of United fans have probably never been. A lot of away away fans. It might be a new ground. Have we played them in the Cup recently? Not recently. Actually, there was that famous game in which Harry Redknapp's Bournemouth beat Manchester United in the FA Cup many, many years ago. Right. Was that under Fergie? Was it, it was under Fergie, yeah. See, bad things did happen under Fergie. That was early Fergie. Yeah. Early Fergie, not so great. Late stage Fergie, a bit dull. But uh, middle stage Fergie, absolutely fantastic. 
Oh, you want to talk about good things, some middle stage Alex Ferguson. Um, but yeah, so uh, Eddie Howe, bright, promising young manager, Bournemouth injury ravaged and surely destined for relegation. They've uh, they've in fact uh, had two really, really creditable results on the bounce because that crazy three-all draw with Everton with all the last minute nonsense uh, was a superb result, even though the way it came about would have been very disappointing for them. Um, so four points in their last two games. Will they get another three points when United come to town? Maybe. No, no, can't. So I was just checking up the uh, the the results. That was in 1984. So I guess that was Big Ron, pre Fergie. Oh, yeah. pre Fergie. So uh, yeah, we uh, we did draw with them at Bournemouth in the FA Cup fifth round in 1989. So. That was, uh, that was definitely uh, during Fergie. So, um, yeah, so, you know, not too many times we played them. Um, we, you cannot say that United will definitely go there and smash them. Well, you can definitely say they won't go there and smash them. Um, but just given the result, they're obviously on a massive high. Uh, they're, they're playing much, much better than than people expected. Like, so, I mean, they're, they're always a very open side in the championship um, and they're just picking up enough points just, I think, to, you know, they might survive at the end of the season. And I think, considering the injuries they've got, it's a pretty remarkable achievement that they're just about picking up enough points. Because a lot of their key threats have been taken out for really long term. Like Max Gradle, Callum Wilson, who had adapted to life really well in the Premier League. Um, Matt Ritchie, uh, a Bournemouth player that put up tremendous numbers last season. Tons and tons of goals and assists. Dropped off a lot this season, but linked to Man United uh, for a January move. Seems a very, very unlikely one, given that he's somewhat struggled to uh, make the step up to the Premier League. Yeah, I just think they're looking for anyone with, you know, a bit a of pulse. something Yeah, in the final third. You know, look, Bournemouth, all they need to really do is pick up points uh, against the teams around them, which is why the win at Chelsea was so important. Yeah. Absolutely. Chelsea, one defeat away from being in the bottom three. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? Awesome. It's just just unbelievable. All right, all right. This is a massive digression, right? But why do you think this is happening, Ed? Oh, I'm not sure I've watched Chelsea enough to honestly say, but you've got Costa, who's uh, definitely off the boil. You've got Fabregas, who's having an absolute stinker of a season. You've got a bit of a mess in the back four where... And they're trying to transition away from John Terry uh, to some younger players who aren't there. You've got Ivanovic, who's had a very, very poor season by his high standards. They're not certain around the left back. And they lost their goalkeeper, who's out injured now. Although the bad results started before that. And, and uh, you know, Azard hasn't scored for 25 games. So, I mean, I haven't watched Chelsea enough to, to definitively tell you, but you've got at least eight players playing really badly. That's that's probably got something to do with it. It's kind of a perfect storm, isn't it? And I think, in a way, it's like it's a bit hard on Mourinho because you... I don't think you could have predicted all this happening all at once. You could probably have predicted a couple of them, but like Hazard going totally off the boil. I don't think many people would have predicted that, would they? What, what do you reckon? Cheeky bid for him? You know, 10, 15 million in the, in the January transfer window. <laughs> so we can stick him wide left and have him left and matter right. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Actually, to be honest, that's basically where he's playing anyway, isn't it? So, yeah. Um... No, I don't want us to bid Frieden Hazard. He he was mean about it when he chose Chelsea over us on Twitter. So that's it. He's dead to me. Uh, but yeah, Bournemouth. Cheeky bid for Matt Ritchie, probably not. There's nothing to be said other than it's not going to be easy 
to expect it to be easy would just be to be totally missing what's actually happening in football this season. Well, look, yeah, um, every cliche about anyone being able to beat anyone is is kind of true, right? So, except for Aston Villa. Who actually managed to win a game? But they won yeah, this no, weekend, so it's, it's true. It's all Newcastle won a football match. Ed, anything's possible. And and for a, you know a good while, it looked like Sunderland might be able to win a football match as well. So <laughs> yeah, right. Arsenal won a football match. They did. Arsenal, all the teams around them failing, loads of big injuries, won the game they desperately needed to win at home. That's how crazy this season is. Uh, indeed, yeah. So, look, I expect uh, United, having come off nil-nil at, at Wolfsburg, to to go and win one nil at Bournemouth. That's what I'm. Okay, so those. I, I know I'm going overboard there, saying United will score one goal this week. <laughs> so we've got 180 minutes of football. You reckon one goal? I'm going to go for a one-nil win at Wolfsburg, and uh a one-all draw against Bournemouth. Very good. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. That's that's where I think we're at. Well, um, you know, I was going to say I'm, I'm looking forward to a couple of exciting games, but I'm not. I'm looking forward to a couple of really big games. Yeah. Can you imagine the pressure that's going to that be piled on Van Gaal if United are knocked out of the Champions League and follow it up with a a dodgy performance and or result against Bournemouth? You know, it's going to be piled on. The flip side... And I guess this isn't any great shakes as analysis, but a victory that takes United somewhere closer to the top of the Premier League with a couple of games to go before the winter, um, well, before Christmas um, and and qualification for the knockout rounds of the Champions League. And then everything Van Gaal does is justified. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a massive, massive week for Van Gaal, not because he's going to get sacked next week if it doesn't go right, but because he has the opportunity to put a huge stamp on his system basically he, he he has a big opportunity to prove that his system can work with the players that he's assembled um and it, it's getting to the point where it's now or never right well no because he's going to be here for another 18 months anyway we're going to record the same rank cast every week for the next 18 months so i hope you'll stick with us through uh that process and believe us it is a process do you know we could actually just not bother uh, recording these anymore and just get Tom our editor to auto put in whatever team we played that week <laughs> yeah maybe maybe so uh, Rooney was bad the football was boring okay bye everyone very good there you go. yeah if for some reason you want to discuss anything that's happened on the Rankcast with us please be nice uh, you can get me on Twitter at UTD Rankcast you can get Ed at United Rant please do subscribe in your uh, podcast software of choice um, and as I mentioned earlier in the show I would be extremely much obliged if you could watch the stupid video I make every two weeks thank you yeah you can read what I've got to say on the Bleacher Report and various other places you can read what Ed has to say on United Rant where I've noticed there's been uh, some pretty great content lately ed some contributing writers and all that sort of thing yeah thanks uh, i think there's generally some pretty good content on rant uh, but yeah a few contributors at the moment which is always nice um who got some fresh angles on the same old boring stuff <laughs> yeah absolutely and uh, we're on facebook and maybe google plus for some reason because it's 2012 or whatever that's when we st- we've been doing this podcast since 2009 ed that's a long time. 
that's that's two hundred and fifty something hours of our lives that we've utterly wasted. <laughs> uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. I want to say hello to uh, James that sent us a really lovely email. Uh, thanks for that, James. It meant a lot. And we'll be back with you to talk about whatever it was that happened against Wolfsburg and Bournemouth next week. Very good. Chin up, guys. <laughs>